In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be comfortable. Good morning. Is it just me or are there a few more people here every Sunday? So if you're here, great. If you're there and watching, wonderful. It is good to be here with you today, wherever you are. Shannon and I um, have been watching a, uh, a television show, a drama, uh, a French drama. So if I appear smarter to you, that's why. It's in French, but it's in subtitles, which is, which is good, because I, I don't know about you, but I need subtitles even on English shows nowadays. But it is a wonderful show. Uh, it takes place in a, it's called A French Village. It takes place in, you'll never guess it, a French village during the 1940s, a rural village during the German occupation. And it, and it sort of traces those years and the lives of the people in the French village. And what I like about it is the complexity of the characters and the situation. I kind of grew up with more of a, a kind of a black and white history of World War II. And you were either, you were a collaborator, or you were in the resistance, yay. And not a whole lot of gray area in between. And, and what this show shows is that certainly in the early days, those who were collaborating um, were trying to keep the peace. They were trying to preserve a certain way of life and the minimization of violence and death of the, of the townspeople. And then, though, as you go, each season is another year in, the, in, the, in these years of occupation. And you begin to see some of the people can no longer be collaborators. They say, we, we just can't do that. And others stick with it or even are attracted more to it. And what happens is through time, you begin to see what they really care about. What their hearts are really turned towards. And it's a fascinating character study in power and human nature. And how do we make peace with this world? Now, in our lives, here in the United States in 2020, uh, thanks be to God, we are not under occupation by a foreign force, are we? But would you agree that there is still, though, a lot of uh, evil at work? Opponents to adversaries of the path of love, the, the way of love, the path of righteousness. And so we, as people of faith, have to figure out how will we stay on this way of love and this path of righteousness when we are in this world, but hopefully not of this world. How do we navigate peace in these in-between times. The kingdom of heaven has come near, but it's not fully here yet. So how do we do that? And what are the risks of not doing that well? That was the defining question in Jesus' day. In that first century, in Palestine, they were trying to decide, Jesus' people, the Jews were trying to decide, how do we live out this covenant relationship as the chosen people of Yahweh in the midst of this brutal Roman occupation and oppression? And roughly, you could 
categorized three different responses. The Pharisees said, we're going to follow the law. We're not worried about anything else. We will get through this by following the law. And we hear about Jesus' sort of run-ins with, with that approach. The other group, the second group, were the Essenes, roughly. They said, we can't fight it, but we can't live with it, so we're out of here. And they went out into the desert, lived in the caves of Qumran. The Essenes said, we can't stay in the midst of it, so we're going to get out of here. And then the third way is the, are the people that Jesus is debating with in today's gospel. Those are uh, sometimes called the Sanhedrin or the religious elites of Jerusalem. Those are the high priests and the elders who genealogically have the right of the responsibility of the temple priesthood. And politically, they went to Rome and said, listen, we'll be the ones who will maintain law and order. We will keep the status quo. Just give us this little bit of religious liberty. Help us maintain our vision of how to serve God here in the temple. And they said, you know, y'all listen up and follow this so that Rome doesn't come in and kill us all. You see how they were collaborators? But really, with good intentions. After watching this show, I have much more sympathy for the chief priests and the elders. And yet, as they go along, it becomes clear, though, that they care about more, more than just keeping the people alive. But that is where they start. And so it's no wonder that they come in to Jesus. Now remember, just before this gospel, Jesus had come in to the holy city of Jerusalem. Jesus had come in, though, not like Pontius Pilate came in, riding on a war horse with chariots and legions of Roman soldiers. He came in from the other gate. Guess what he was riding on? A donkey. The people of the fields were laying all they had, their cloaks, down on his path. The children were singing Hosanna, Hosanna to our king, riding on a donkey. When he got in to this holy place, the place where heaven and earth came together, not just a church among churches, but the temple, the only temple where the chief priests held all the authority and all the power and all the status and privileges that came with it, economic as well as political and religious, guess what he did? He didn't bow or genuflect. Jesus turned over the tables. And he left. And he came back. And he's teaching again. And people are st standing around him. And suddenly, the black Chevy Suburbans with the blacked-out windows and the guys, the beefy guys with what looks like big lumps under their chest and talking uh, earpieces talking into get out, and these guys get out of the cars. These are the, these are the elites. And they say, what are you doing? You're going to mess this all up. Who gave you this authority? How dare you risk all of this. 
And Jesus suspects, I guess, that there's more going on to their desire to maintain this order, this status quo. And so he does what any good rabbi does. What does he do? He answers their question with a question. By what authority did John do his baptism? Was it by heavenly authority or human origin? And I just love the way Matthew tells the story. It's almost like you can see them suddenly go, hold on a second. And they huddle up, right? They huddle together and say, okay, well, if we say it's of uh, divine origin, then he's going to say, well, then why didn't you join him? But if we say it's of human origin, well, then the people are going to be furious with us. They're going to throw us out. So we can't say that. Hmm, what do you think? And they come back and they say, we don't know. They know, but they don't want to say. And Jesus has a sense that they know what to do, but they're more concerned with what to say. So he tells them that parable. There's two sons. I'm going to pick on Vern and Donovan. Okay? So the father says to Vern, Vern, go out into the vineyard today. Vern says, no way, Dad. And 20 minutes later, he says, that eh, was kind of a crummy thing to do. And he just goes and does it. The same dad says, hey, Donovan, get out there in the vineyard today. Donovan says, you bet your dad, anything for you. And he doesn't go. So which one did the will of his father? And they quickly say, well, Vern did, of course. Not by what he said, but what by, he, by what he did. And Jesus says, exactly. God is more concerned about what we do than what we say. And you of all people should know. You say to me, how dare you? I say to you, how cares you? What do you care about? Because the tax collectors and the prostitutes saw that John came in this way of love, this path of righteousness. And it changed what they cared about, what they gave their heart to. But it didn't for you. And yet even after you saw it, you saw it. You saw this way of righteousness. And yet, it didn't change what you cared about. It couldn't give their way to the way of righteousness if it led away from their position of power and privilege and status and prestige. It revealed what they really cared about. The system was working for them. It's easy to be in favor of the status quo when you have status. Who wouldn't be in favor of law and order when you benefit from the law and you control the order? But maybe the boat needs to be rocked if there are people who are drowning. Maybe we need to steer the boat into the turbulent water if there are those who need to be rescued. Maybe there's more important things than just maintaining the status quo. That is, if loving what God loves and loving who God loves is 
what we most care about. The path of love and the way of righteousness, which is just a fancy way of saying right relationships, does not constantly and perpetually sail through the calm waters of institutional tranquility. If we are steering only and always towards maintaining this sort of uneasy peace, we may be, by staying on that path, diverging from the way of love and the path of righteousness. And if so, we need to repent. We need to have a change of heart, a change of direction. We need to change and re remember what it is that we are called to care about. Remember our baptismal covenant. Remember that part? We promise with God's help to persevere in resisting evil. And whenever we fall into sin, not if we fall into sin, we're more honest than that, whenever we fall into sin, to repent and return to the Lord, to this way of love, to this path of righteousness. What is it that we care about? What are we preserving? Presiding Bishop Michael Curry um, on May 31st, Geesh, think about that. Almost four months ago, he wrote this letter to the Washington Post. In it, he said, we have strayed from the path of love. I look at searing images of racialized violence across the country against the backdrop of the disproportionate number of COVID-19 victims who are black, brown, and native, and I cannot help but notice love's profound and tragic absence. He wrote that four months ago. Has the racialized violence gotten any better? No. And I mean that in the most general sense, on both sides. Have the disproportionate number of the elderly, the poor, the black, brown, and native suffering from COVID gotten any better, more proportionate? No, I cannot help but notice love's tragic and profound absence. What do we care about? We are living in frightening times. Yet we have promised to persevere in resisting evil. And whenever we fall into sin, to repent and return to the Lord, to repent to change our minds and our heart, to change what we care most about. It's to love what God loves, to love who God loves as our first and primary motivation. That's what should steer our life, even if it steers us into places of discomfort. It doesn't, our faith doesn't take us out of engagement in the world. We can't run into the desert and hide. We have to be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. 
we can take a different path. The way of love, the way of Jesus' sacrificial, self-emptying love. Not looking to our own interests, Paul reminds the congregation in Philippi, but to the interests of others. It's to work as the liberating, loving, life-giving body of Christ in the world today. Even if that means looking beyond our self-interests to God's interests. Doing the will of God. Loving the way of God rather than just talking about it. 